Welcome to Cali Made Us Do It, a podcast on culture, social issues, and trends rocking our worlds through our three different lenses. With your hosts, Kristen Tony, Jody Moore Lewis, and Alexandra Tennant. And then I only had two glasses of wine. I mean, very, very full glasses, but I was. I'm thinking it's the accumulation of celebrating our anniversary. So I'm gonna take a break, <laughs> having some coffee right now. The other day I had two glasses of wine too when I was out. Yeah, what is it? Is this 30? <laughs> 30 plus. 30 plus. <laughs> I think it's gonna be a rough one all the way around. <laughs> you don't have to feel bad for me though, I'm just hungover. <laughs> Mine's not. Uh, well, at least you got the benefits of drinking uh, uh, wine. I feel hungover without having had anything. So <laughs> we're all hot messes today, all in different ways. And you're in Chicago, Chris. You're with your family. I'm with my uh, cousins and my auntie. Um, it's Springfield, Illinois. We call it Spring. You call it, wait, what? You call it what? We call it Spring Patch because it's actually the capital of Illinois. So it's uh, about three and a half hours out from Chicago in the middle of nowhere. My internet's probably bad. Oh, your internet's bad because you're in the middle of nowhere? Probably. <laughs> so this was the birth, the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln. Do you have Lincoln Logs there? Is it is his Lincoln Log House there? Yeah, actually, it's like a museum. Yeah. Wow, I'd love to see it. National <laughs> treasure. You have to um, you have to go for us and snap a photo for Instagram. <laughs> Hilarious! I've never been. My family has lived here for about fifteen years. Never been. Oh, you you definitely have to go this trip. Then you have to at least do a drive by. We're expecting pictures. <laughs> When I did sales before I moved out to LA, I worked in a clothing line. I did a trip where I would drive from North Carolina to Tennessee, Oklahoma. I think it was that trip because then I would go down Illinois, like Peoria, down to Springfield, and then back. And I only chose to do this trip because one of my best friends lived in Kansas City at the time. So no one else wanted to do the Midwest. And I was like, I'll do the Midwest because then I partied with her every time I went to Kansas City. But (laughs) I've been to Springfield and Peoria. I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't like to roll through the Midwest. There's not a lot to see, especially when you hit Illinois. It's so flat and boring. We, in between Chicago and Springfield, there's actually a lot of, like, uh, sundown towns. So my family doesn't travel at night to Springfield. Damn. That's so crazy to think that that (laughs) still exists. Yeah, everywhere. It's crazy. Sad. Sorry to br- didn't mean to bring the mood down, guys. Sorry. No, I mean it's life, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm eating oatmeal. Nobody <laughs> 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 Just talking with my mouth full. That's about how we're doing today, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back. But, you know, hopefully those things will change. Like um, in Manhattan Beach in California, they're giving back that um, Bruce's Beach back to the rightful owners that was taken from them. 
So that's, it's late, but it's happening. How, how do y'all, I mean, obviously I'm sure you're happy about that, but um, I know the news is like widespread. Frankie and I actually mis, uh, mis, uh, mistook it. Is mistook it the word? Mistaken it? Doesn't sound right either. We were confused. <laughs> we thought it was Orange County. We were like, of course it's Orange County. And then find out it's like Los Angeles. <laughs> we were like, oh, you know, LA has its issues too. Yeah. It's exciting. We, um, Kristen and I spend a lot of time in Manhattan beach. Like we, for, for the last few years actually. And, um, I think Kristen discovered Bruce beach and the Bruce beach story a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, and since we've, we've spent a lot of time down there and we go house hunting down there for our, our dream homes one day. So, um, we knew that it was kind of on the horizon, um, especially with the protests and the BLM movement in the recent years. And I'm, I'm super, super excited about it. I'm excited to see what happens next and, um, hope it's a new chapter for Manhattan beach. It's such a charming, well, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hype it up because I don't want anyone else to go there. <laughs> right. The South Bay, like everyone goes to Malibu and the South Bay is like the best kept secret for uh-huh. like no tourists really go to the South Bay. Which don't is nice. go there. Just read about it. <laughs> <laughs> Stay in no, Santa I'm Monica. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a great little town and it's, um, it's super cool news. Excited to hear about it. Santa Monica is still the best beach ever, yes. guys. Santa if you're coming Monica in from out, is... <laughs> if you're coming in from out of town, Santa Monica is a one. You know, Ferris wheel. You know, carnival like roller coasters. It's go there. The end of the historic Route 66. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, Manhattan Beach has a special place in my heart. Um, I think that it's fortunate that that story got out and i hope that a lot more stories come out because it's happened all over the united states everywhere where they've been ran out so hopefully a lot of people can get back you know what's old to them because if they would have had a chance to keep their land who knows what they would be and that's the whole point of of what everyone's saying about why reparations are are necessary for black people, not only because, you know, our ancestors worked and built the country for free, but also after they were freed, when they finally worked hard and got land and built, they were ran out by, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, so. And that's how you build wealth, you know, like that's what we, you know, I think about my ancestry being white like i'm obviously or okay um but you know i know like my grandparents and then like what they had before them and et cetera et cetera and granted like my extended family like my history isn't like the most wealthy but it was able to have my parents be able to like create wealth for themselves because of like that slow build and when you don't even have that slow build you're still scraping up stuff. You're still scraping from the bottom of the barrel. And that's what I don't think people understand when they're like, well, black people, and I say what people, what white people don't understand when they reprimand or they have backlash against something like this, because there has been like backlash. 
And it's like, well, then it's been owned by the state. So why do they get it? And it's like, but you, you've been okay. You've been building, you've had a foundation, even if maybe it's not the foundation that you eventually want in your life, you have a foundation or as black people have had that ripped away from them and they are below the surface trying to crawl up like a well that's never ending with no staircase, no rope. And they're like, make something out of that. And that's not okay. That's disgusting. Like, no, everyone should be on the same playing field and have some sort of foundation. And because um, just because you have a job doesn't mean that you can survive here. You need wealth. You need, and that means different things for other people. But sorry, I'm not monologuing at y'all. I'm monologuing at white people listening. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> No, it's uh, it's really, really good news. And um, I can't wait to hear more about uh, about what, you know, eventually happens and, and, and learn more about the family, really. You know, let's put them in the spotlight and, and let's hear what their future plans are for the area. All right, guys. <laughs> yeah, what are we getting into today? It's uh, jobs. And shames. Oh, job shaming. Oh, yeah. job shaming. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, oh, uh, Alex led this conversation. It was a, it was a fun one. It was a deep one. Um, uh, especially coming out of the pandemic, we thought it was important to highlight it. And then we just had this Amazon. The workers voted against unionizing. So that's a really interesting thing to think about as we're talking about jobs and worth and how that's all wrapped together in the American fabric. Why would they do that? 1,700 voted against the union where 700 voted for the union. I just heard it this morning on the daily because Amazon said they pay the minimum wage of 15. You get health care first day. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's a lot of fear. People are scared to, of actual change that their voice actually matters. I mean, why do we settle for so many things, you know? But I think it's amazing that, and you heard one of the union activists speaking, he was like, we went up against the largest corporation in the world. We went up against the richest man in the world and we were heard. And even that is a change. And I don't think the fight is over, but it definitely was a surprising, a surprising twist. It has to be lack of education or something because I can't for the life of me understand why anybody wouldn't want to unionize something like Amazon. I mean, maybe is it was it the wording? Was it like what it had to be something because I know we go into polls all the time and we the wording can be so jumble i mean this is all based off of like hypothesis i'm not even i have not looked into it i have i have no idea what transpired but like i'm really kind of like confused why anyone wouldn't want to unionize like just for clarification unions are the reason police officers get to walk keep their jobs after they kill a man mm -hmm. like yeah. why unions you know were created for the protection of workers for the quote unquote, I say that in air quotes, protection of workers. And a lot of them do. Um, and a lot of industries are unionized. Ours is the entertainment industry. Um, 
nurses have unions, uh, like Kristen said, police officers have unions. Um, yeah, it's, that's, it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. People are so afraid to lose their job. I think that's like what drives people to, to stay. And I think it's the American dream of you have to work hard to make money or that American ideology. And I think that's why people stay. It's really interesting, especially, you know, we're in this, I want to say post pandemic world, but it's not really the pandemic is still very much going on and it's still very much existing, but um, we're hearing news that a lot of jobs are coming back. I saw some number like uh, 900,000, almost close to a million jobs are coming back slash being created. I'm interested to see what patterns other big corporations take like this um, in the future to keep employees, to keep them happy, to lure people, um, to create jobs. You know, I think it's a, it's a, definitely a new frontier because everything is different now. So yeah. Go away, shame. <laughs> These days, the topic of work or what's considered a good job or an awful job is more prevalent than ever. And it's magnified by this global pandemic that has left millions without work. Our society is redefining what we value in the workforce and how we think and talk about work. So I know, you know, all of us now, we are working in some capacity, whether it's at a full-time job, part-time job, or on passion projects. But I wanted to know, have either of you ever had a job that you've been embarrassed about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I Waiting tables. I wasn't so much waiting tables at first, but the, when I started aging, it was like I'm still waiting tables and I felt like I shouldn't be at a certain age for some reason. And like I, I respect like waiting tables is God's work. Like we need people to do it. Going to restaurants is amazing. And um, but I was just a little embarrassed about it. I felt like it signified because I have, you know, I'm an aspiring actor. I felt like it signified that I wasn't doing my art or my craft. It was like a, a large scarlet letter of, hey, you're still in the serving industry. You're still not moving on with your life. Uh, I had one uh, and it was working for Vector. Vector is this knife selling company that pretty much like preys on like, like kids like 17 or 18 get, getting out of high school. And um, basically you, you buy your own knives and then they teach you how to sell them. So you buy it from them and then they teach you how to sell them. And uh, I, I did not do the knife selling. They, although I was called when I was 17 and I was like, yeah, no, you got to get somebody else. Um, I actually, when I first moved out to LA, it was one of my three jobs. And I was the people calling these young children to try to get them to sell knives. And it was the most like, it was the most like, 
oh, I felt so bad because they would get so excited because you're like, you can make 25 to $50 an hour. Like, who's not excited? And then like a lot of these people are from low income families. And that sounds like, you know, a dream. And like that would severely help, I mean, significantly help them in life. And I guess the reason I was so embarrassed about it wasn't the actual job part, but it was the fact that I was getting these kids hopes up and you couldn't tell them what it was until they came in the office. It was everything you can think of in terms of a pyramid scheme, but like they had money behind it. So they hired people to do all of this calling. And I was getting like, what, whatever minimum wage was in LA, like 10 years ago, which I think was like 1250 or something, $12. Like I was getting that to pretty much bait and switch these children, these kids. And then we would get, sorry, I know it's loud, but this is funny. And then we would get <laughs> there. Uh, we'll be like, and you know what, when we hang up, like, or no, when they come in, like before you even start the meeting, you write down like 10 of your closest friends name and phone number. And then we call that list. Oh my it gosh. Was, but what kind of knives are these like chef's knives? Girl, I've never seen the knives. So I would know, <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't even know if they exist. I'm just like, it would, but so it, long story short, um, I wasn't embarrassed because, you know, like I'm working for 1250 and like, that's not where I was more so embarrassed because I, that I was letting people down for a living. Yeah. So like what I'm hearing from you guys and what I think has been true for me in the past is having to take jobs to survive that don't necessarily match up with our value system. They don't match up with our passions um, or where we think that we should be in life. And there's some kind of element of shame around that, right? Like I'm not supposed to be here or I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this, but I have to do it to um, survive. Now you guys might remember the story of Cosby show star Jeffrey Owens, who in 2018 was photographed while working at a Trader Joe's in New Jersey, and then subsequently harassed online when the person who took the photo went online. About the incident, he said, somewhere in the middle of the road of my life, I found myself in the dark wood of unemployment and debt. But instead of switching careers like a sane person, I took a job at a local Trader Joe's to see if I could hang in there with my career. And it's actually worked out pretty well. I'm Jeffrey Owens and I'm an actor. I think what happens to Jeffrey Owens, you know, he got news coverage of it and it, and it did. It turned out really well for him. He got some parts and some uh, attention to his acting after that. But I think it's probably a really common thing that happens that we don't always talk about. And uh, like I said before, it's really highlighted by this pandemic and people having to take jobs that they wouldn't normally have in the past. But now that the economy has tanked. Um, we're having to do things that maybe before were looked at as jobs that were beneath us or, or jobs that, you know, we were overqualified for. Have you guys ever been shamed for a job? Like, has anybody ever made comments about jobs that you've had that are negative? I haven't had any specifically towards me, but I definitely have heard others judge people on their jobs. Like if 
I don't know. I feel like the most obvious ones are like if you work at a grocery store, just like Jeffrey Owens or a Walmart or a Target or, you know, where you're not doing something that sounds what society deems as prestigious or or whatnot. I mean, this could very well just be a projection of my own, but <laughs> um, I haven't had someone directly say to my face, you know, um, that they feel like, like they job shame me or, you know, but I mean, you go on the internet and you see people talking about tips. Oh, for anyone listening, I be- previously was a bartender before, um, the world got set on fire. Um, <laughs> um, a pretty so, damn good bartender at that. Hey, hey. let them know. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for the plug. Um, <laughs> but I've heard, of course you get online and you see people when they're discussing tips and they're like, well, they should have went to college or they should have, it's not supposed to be something you do forever and blah, blah, blah. So I've, I've run into, like I've seen things about my job on the internet being trash on the internet um and maybe taking that information in it causes me to like reluctantly tell people like you know and when they ask what you do like I'm a bartender you know and um I've I've noticed like people like quickly switch like the conversation like they don't have questions about that like you know what I'm saying like it's just like oh okay cool like it's nothing to dive into um so I guess I just feel like when everybody's talking about jobs and everybody has like, you know, like different jobs and they're like, oh, how is that? And then they get to me and I'm like, oh, I'm a bartender in West Hollywood. And they'll be like, oh, okay. And they'll move on. So I don't really, I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't, I've never had a direct like, mm-hmm. dang girl, you still at, <laughs> you still bartending? <laughs> you still working in restaurants? <laughs> oh, I was just going to add too. I was thinking about it as you were talking, Kristen. Even though I haven't had a direct shaming that I know of or remember, I could have blocked it out, blocked it out, whatever the proper term is. But I do think because of what I mentioned, the shame that I had, that I felt that from other people, like if I was, if I were to be serving someone and maybe they were having an issue that in my mind, I felt like I was beneath them or I would project that onto them that they thought I was beneath them. So um, I think that's a really real thing too. I think I also did that with acting. If I didn't have a stamp of approval on my resume, like something big, then I felt embarrassed when people were like, oh, you're an actor. What have you done? And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I haven't, you haven't really seen anything. So, I mean, these are all obviously my issues. Are we just doing a therapy session for Jody? But, <laughs> but it's like, I think wrapped into those societal ideas of what a job means and our identities connected with them. Yeah. Absolutely. Forget it about the acting. That was like, <laughs> I, I remember for five years straight, even though I haven't really, like I was like taking a break. I remember for five years straight, I was like, whatever you do, do not say you're an actor. <laughs> in my head so I never used to say it but then I was like oh no I gotta start saying it because the power of manifestation is real like you can't miss out on your gift yes it does get a little murky between what's projection and what's actually real I'm 
of course, as usual, on the other end of the spectrum of that, living in Los Angeles and having groups of all creative friends, so people that do work in the service industry and are also actors or musicians or dancers or singers, I have atypically had a what most people would call an office job. So I've definitely, and this is my probably a lot of my own projection, but I've definitely felt shame in my own office job um, because I feel like a lot of times it can have the connotation of being stuffy or boring or lack creativity, which, you know, are all things that every job has components of regardless of where you are. There have been moments where I felt like I've wanted to maybe not fully conceal what I do or, you know, fully explain. Um, I definitely think that as a creative person, I felt shame around like the length of time that I've had this job, just like Jody, you were saying, you know, you've, you felt like you should have aged out of a certain job. I feel like I should have kind of aged out of what, you know, started as my survival job and yet I'm still there and there's shame around that. I'd also like to interrupt really quick and remind everyone we're not that old, <laughs> but we feel, <laughs> yeah. oh, when we say we're older, we, you know, it's just so dramatic, but I just want people to know they're not listening to like 60 year olds. <laughs> it's true. And that's, that's another component of all of this, right? Like yeah. that, that, um, the idea that you have to be a certain place or be doing a certain thing by a certain age because reasons, right? The idea that there's just a formula for life. And if you have what we now consider essential worker jobs, it's bad and, and you have failed. And if you have what others may consider, you know, comfy, cushy desk, corporate jobs, you have succeeded, right? And I think that everyone as a our society as a whole is beginning to kind of break down those old tropes and and really start to redefine what we value. Did either of you grow up in a community where certain jobs were shamed, like where things were looked down upon? Did you grow up in working class, kind of corporate America community? You know, what 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 did your parents do and and what kind of ideas did you get around work when you were young? So my dad is an electrician and my mom is a nurse. Um, my mom and my dad both had like high expectations for me. Um, however, my mom supported creative, like the creative route that I took. Uh, my dad, however, was like, you should have went to college. <laughs> and you should have, I mean, not went to college. I did go to college. You should have graduated college, all this other stuff. The job in my community that were shamed were pretty much the same jobs that we were talking about. So grocery store workers or gas station attendants or even servers. And I want to say, you know, when I was about, just like Jody, when I was about 17, I think that I was like judgmental of servers past a certain age where I grew up or where I was like, Oh, I could, I would never be a server past uh, 20 23 or something like that that was because that was old to me when you were 17 <laughs> because you should have got you should have your life together by 23 duh so I feel like I I participated in the job shaming as a teenager <laughs> so that should tell you where that like where that mindset should stay <laughs> <laughs> So Kristen, my dad's an electrician too. 
Hey, electrician daughters. Yes. So I had like an interesting thing with my family. Um, my mom didn't work when I was a kid. She was a stay-at-home mom, but she was a manager at a grocery store called Win Dixie. They're not around anymore. And then now, as as I was as my sister and I got older, she and my aunt opened their own like store. And they would do like different shows and sell their things. And now she does Etsy and all that. She's always been like selling something. <laughs> so when I was younger, I went to this kind of upscale elementary and middle school. And I just like to say we are not <laughs> poor by all means. I'm definitely middle class, working class. Like my parents work really hard. So I feel bad that I even said this. But I remember feeling some shame around my parents' jobs like what my mom used to do and what my dad did because these people that I went to school with, their parents would be lawyers or doctors or work in a company with a desk. And my dad crawled out under houses and rewired them and all that. But he's so fucking smart. Like he could fix anything. And that kind of stuff isn't around that much anymore. You know, it's um, those trades aren't, aren't really learned. But there was some shame in that because I guess it was it, for me, it was more of a fitting in thing. But isn't that kind of maybe why we also judge others in their jobs? Because we don't feel like they fit into what we want them to be. And I probably like you, Kristen, was definitely judging some other people. Like, I mean, if I was doing that to my parents as a kid, then I was definitely doing it to others. But kind of circling back, Alex, to how you even open this, like, yes, grocery store workers are essential, like gas, people that work at gas stations are essential. Like these are our everyday things that we need to do and to have. And and the gig economy, like our Instacarts are rising and our um, chow now, chow now. I think chow now is the best one for the delivery service. But um, yeah, I don't want to promote other people who are stealing from restaurants. But restaurant workers, like, these are that that is community. That is what makes us a community are those essential workers. It's been very eye opening. For sure. I would just like to say that grocery store workers are fucking heroes. I'm just saying they are yes. heroes, especially they in are. 20 and through 2020, what they did, even probably being scared. But they had to show up and they showed up and they were exhausted. Them and, um, you know, the Popeyes people. Like, <laughs> fucking, let, let's give it out. Like, shout I wish out we- to my local Trader Joe's on Burton Way. They were always had a happy face. Mm-hmm. Oh, always. We got, like, we got to do an episode just on Trader Joe's because I have so <laughs> many stories that I'm like, oh, bruh. You are you are a diamond in the fucking rough. We got a we got a excellent company. <laughs> yeah. We're for you Trader Joe's. <laughs> Big Joe. Yeah, I just I I wanted to piggyback on what you guys were saying cuz I do think how we are brought up and what we're told when we're brought up about work and the value of work and what jobs are valuable or not is really important and you know, I think that it's formed a lot of my attitude about work 
especially living in LA, because all of us kind of came from the suburbs, right? I don't think any of us are inner city kids. And I think what both of you are saying, especially the, the restaurant thing, you know, I think in the suburbs, it was typical for much, much younger kids to kind of get those jobs and then age out of it as they moved on to college or, you know, for whatever reason. And, you know, I grew up with two hyper creative parents who kind of, I, you know, I watched in their, their life conceal that creativity for the corporate world. Um, my dad was super into music and theater his whole life. That was his deepest passion. And he ended up uh, being a technical engineer for IBM. My mom was a TV producer and actress and writer and illustrator. And she ended up working for IBM corporate as well. So I saw these two people that, you know, I guess maybe because of shame really concealed their passions and desires for survival. And so the flip side of that, you know, I come to LA and I do see 30 year olds, 40 year olds, 50 year olds working, um, you know, working in the, in the restaurant industry, working at a retail shop. And, but I see them doing it to support their passions. Does that make sense? So instead of, you know, maybe the old traditional put what you want on the back burner in the city of LA, I see, people kind of abandoning that old mindset that what you like and what you enjoy takes a backseat to how you make your money. And I, you know, I think that that's why I'm, I think that that's why we're all still here. Right. I think that we work past the shame because what we want is greater and maybe the generation before us wasn't really able to do that. Um, so I think that that really forms our perspective on, um, jobs and the value of work and how we treat people in these other industries that in the past were kind of looked down upon. You know, we don't know reasons why people decide to choose the jobs that they choose. And is it our business? No, but no. you're right. Like, you know, we are all trying to fund our passions. Some people, this might be their third job because they need extra income or, yeah, I'm sure some companies are just straight up prejudiced to some people. And so these, you know, the, it probably goes even deeper than that. But I will say some of the quote unquote shameful jobs, like even when I think about waiting tables, since I've stepped back from the restaurant industry, I got to meet so many people, even if it was just for 30 minutes or two hours, you get to meet so many different walks of life. And sometimes people who are like servers at nice restaurants that are lifetime servers, that's the joy. They're like entertaining and letting people enjoy a good meal. I don't know. I just think sometimes we just have to move away that from A, shaming other people in their jobs and B, thinking that our jobs make us the shit. Like our job should be separate from who we are as humans. <laughs> and there's, there's different kinds of currencies, right? Time is a currency. There's all these different types of currencies. So, you know, what people, I don't know, but what maybe some people think is like, oh, this particular job um, does not, you know, require as much education or does not, does not require as much knowledge or technical knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. What they really leave out of that conversation is like, yes, but it requires patience. It requires empathy. It requires you to be able to talk to people from all over the world. Like you said, it mean it um, requires you to be able to work with people from all over the world. Like it requires a currency that isn't necessarily something that you use everywhere. So why do we, 
Why do we only value those things and we don't value other characteristics that are related to human connection as much as, you know, being able to write a three page email or having the terminology for, you know, some technical software, being able to code, like why isn't actually being of service to somebody else valued as much as these other things? And you think that it would be, it should be, it absolutely should be, you know, it's the foundation of all of our human connection. I personally think that in America, it's not so much the job. I think it's how much you are paid. And I'll say this. um, I know that I like about when we were out of our homes in cages or whatever you want to call them, um, we went to Amsterdam. And I remember talking to my friend that lived there and she was like, you know, you could come here and be a bartender. And I was like, girl, if I come and move here, I definitely need a real job. And she looked at me and she was like, it is a real job. And in the moment, that's not what I meant. Like what I was saying was I need to be sponsored. So I have to have a skill because I knew that I have to have a skill that other people don't have so that I can be sponsored. But when it came out, it was like, I got to get a real job. She was deadpan and was like that is a real job and it's not like that here no one judges you by what you what you do and I just thought like wow like imagine living and like you're just doing what you're supposed to do to survive and no one is like oh my god you work at a grocery store that's so not cool that that brings up that's a really interesting word right real job like what is a real job what is a fake job like (laughs) what is a fake job and an internship (laughs) if you are exchanging something for something else you know even with like Jody, you said your mom stayed at home with you like that's work kids are a Mm -hmm. lot of work and you know it's it's an exchange she exchanged her time for something else, for the gratification of being able to raise her children. That's a real job. That's actually like a really interesting phrase that I do think that people use a lot here is, oh, get a real job or when are they going to get a real job or waiting until I get a real job. But it's like any kind of work has value. Any kind of work, even if you're not getting money in exchange for it, you're getting some other kind of currency, whether that's time or knowledge or helping somebody else. Um, And I think that's really important. And it's just something that I think, yeah, this country misses a lot. For sure. Like they just fuel it into our brains. Like this country just needs to let people live their lives and you live your own life, whatever empowers you. Because when you're out there shaming other people, you probably feel that shame in yourself somewhere that you haven't, like you see yourself in them and you see that quote unquote low status and you're projecting that onto them. It's, and I love that you brought up like my mom is a stay at home mom. Like that's a job too. Like we real jobs, it's jobs or anything. Jobs could be cooking dinner for yourself when you get home. And I remember Lupita Nuanga. I saw when us came out for the SAG awards, I saw her speak at, for like a little Q and a, which is really cool. But you know, she hit it off with a bang with 12 years a slave. And then was like, what do I do now? How do I top that? Can I top that? Like what's going to be my next job? And And then she realized her job just needed to be to like come back to herself 
so then she can show up for work, like whatever the next work would be whole versus concentrating on if it's going to be better than the last thing she did, or if she can be just as good and be in her head about it. And, um, you know, some people might need those easier jobs to maintain their health. And what's to say what's easy, you know, I'm throwing words out too, but I chose to be a server because of the flexibility and it was great money. It's hard work when you're there, but it's very flexible where I don't take my work home so I can do my practice on the side. So that's maybe what I mean by quote unquote easy. I also want to say, I also want to say that like coming from this, like working in both like places where I had to sit down and do things and, you know, are repetitive. I mean, all of mine were kind of like low level, uh, entry level jobs. So it doesn't matter, but I do think that I found the most joy in um, the restaurant industry. And that's why I left and went back is because I found out that it did something for me to meet all kinds of different people, help people in situations. I mean, when I started being a bartender, like I was a part-time therapist. Like I had to sit there and listen. You can't tell, like you can't tell the clients or clientele that comes in like, bruh, I don't, I'm not in the mood to hear your shit today. Like you have to just sit there and you have to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And sometimes like, I really did feel sorry. So, but I was able to, I was put in a position to do something for that person. I was in a position to make that person's day better. And it's a genuine, that was a genuine, like, thing that made me happy when I went home is like somebody came in I remember somebody came in after losing their house they in the fire and she was sitting at the because we were connected to a hotel and she was sitting at the bar and she I could overhear her and she was on the phone trying to help people low-income people who lost their house not even thinking about her house her situation she was clearly you know wealthy you could tell from like the things that she wore and like, but she was on the phone after like hanging up back and forth, trying to figure out how to help other people who are less fortunate, get them um, housed or, you know, like get them food or like be able to start a fund to try to like get them, like get them back to where they started. And I just was like, you know what? I just want to do something for her. So we, we comped her whole meal. We comped, I told my manager what was happening that she decided to come here and she was so grateful and she cried. Even though she could probably pay for it or whatever the case may be, she also lost a lot of things in her house that were valuable. And she started crying and was like, thank you so much. We need more people like you in, in the world. So needless to say, any bartenders, servers, grocery store workers, anybody out there that normally people will say, oh, your job isn't significant or you are small or you don't matter, you do. And you can make a difference with every person that you come in contact with. Yes. Oh, that was beautiful. Thanks for sharing that story. Super beautiful. And I think that it shows that no matter what you're doing, you can make a difference. I, I don't think that we should let where we are or what we're doing, like you said, Jody, be our defining moment. Even for those of us that do work a, a desk job that are hyper creative, you can find value in what you do, what you give to other people, the experiences you have and how you can apply those to all of the other passions in your life. The truth is our jobs 
do not define us. And we can't always judge others' value based solely on their chosen profession. Our American culture is definitely built on the value of earning by any different means, many different means, um, but our personal value should not be determined by it. Mic drop. <laughs> okay. You hot given? You hot giving us something? <laughs> My hot give. Um, my hot give for the week is something that brought a smile to my face. Um, it's Amanda Gorman on the cover of Vogue. Um, she is an absolute vision. If you don't know who Amanda Gorman is, she's the youngest poet laureate. Um, and she was the poet who did the inaugural poem for uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's inauguration this past January. She's fabulous. I think she's 20. I, I'm, I might have to correct myself, but I think she's about 20 years old, 1920. Um, and, uh, Harvard educated and, um, they put her on the cover of Vogue and I've read most of the interview, uh, intermittently in between my naps and my <laughs> medications. Um, but you should definitely go pick up a copy. It's a collector's edition. This girl is brilliant. She is, um, charismatic she is compassionate, and I think that she is going to be, and I think a lot of people said this during the inauguration, but, you know, the Maya Angelou of our time, she, she really is going to set the standard for art and activism during our time, and I just love to see it. I love to see young Black women be honored for their talents and their gifts, um, and she, she's just amazing. I, I found out she has a twin sister who's actually, like, also a filmmaker. So both of them are, are super talented, successful young women. And, um, it's just, it's a feel good read. It's something that we need right now. Yeah. I love to, I love to see it. So that's my, uh, hot give go out, run, don't walk to your nearest newsstand to get the April, uh, cover of Vogue. She was shot by Annie Leibovitz. Um, one of her outfits is a dress, um, by Virgil Abloh, Abloh who um, is the editor of Vogue. And it's, uh, <laughs> it is um, one of his like traditional African from, I guess, his ancestry's tribes blanket that she's wearing belted. And it's just fashion of the highest level. And I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll have to go pick up a copy. I love her. She's, she's yeah. incredible too. She's incredible. Thank you for sharing. I didn't, I haven't got magazines in a very long time besides the New Yorker. That this is one that you definitely want to pick up. I think this is um, not absolutely, if it's the first for her, it's absolutely not the last. And we're going to see her doing some really, really incredible stuff in the future. Chris, what do you got for us? Um, okay. I'm going to try to get this out in one. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, uh, this weekend I, uh, watched or yeah, this weekend I watched a movie with my dad called Concrete Cowboy. Um, I've been wanting to see it. Uh-huh. With Idris Elba. Oh my God. It's so good. And you know, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but my dad is a concrete cowboy. He grew up in, um, th on the East side of Chicago and he's always been around horses 
And the best part about the movie um, and watching it with my dad is my dad was able to pre predict the things that were going to happen and the things people were going to say, the lingo and everything. And, you know, a lot of the times we watch shows and we see ourselves and like that it's relatable and we're like oh my god that's totally me oh my god that's totally you know my best friend or oh my god that's totally my sister and you know for the first time I really felt like my dad saw himself on tv like portray like himself for the world to see actually how it goes down and um it's actually based on a true story they're in Philadelphia, Philly. <clears throat> They've had their stables, quote unquote, um, taken away multiple times because they don't have funding and they don't have the proper, you know, guidance to, you know, house these animals. But they love these animals. They take care of these animals, you know, and it's a way to keep them out of the streets. Um, it gives them discipline. And honestly, Horse therapy is one of the greatest therapies in the world. And I see a significant difference in my dad when, um, for example, my dad, uh, he got thrown from his horse uh, at the beginning of quarantine. And of course, it's all this stuff going on in the world and, you know, that adds to it. But there's a significant change in my dad's attitude and demeanor when he is um, actively with his horse um, versus when he's not able to even walk. So it's so great. There's a real, they, they actually employ the, some of the real life cowboys. Um, one of them, he, uh, like he lost, like he lost his legs. He, uh, can't walk because I think it was a fight or a gunfight or something like that that happened. But, but he still takes, he can't ride anymore, but he still takes care of the horses. He's still always active. So, yeah. And uh, Hollywood needs to stop writing out black cowboys because they exist and they're prominent. And it's a long, long history of black cowboys. So that is my hot game. <laughs> that is a hot give, and also Idris Elba is always a hot give for me. <laughs> if I can finally get my newsletter out, I have a, him because I like pretending he talks to me in his like sexy British voice to like motivate me. <laughs> it's like written in my newsletter, so maybe this will also hot give me a chance to finally mail it out, email it out. That's so funny. <laughs> I was just going to say, I cannot wait to watch it. I know Kristen's dad. He is the coolest cowboy ever. And like she said, there's a, a long history of black cowboys in America that's kind of been erased. And I'm so glad to see it come out and hopefully encourage young boys now to um, to get interested. And, and people who own horses and own, you know, horse training centers and classes to reach out to surrounding communities and make it accessible for young people of all different colors, because it's, um, it, it is, it's a beautiful life enhancing sport and hobby and career, um, that a lot of people don't know about because it's just not accessible to them. So I love it. I can't wait to watch it. Hopefully I'll be able to put it on this week and enjoy it. I hope, I hope we, we can talk about it. We'll get on a text thread. But Frankie and I have been wanting to watch it, and uh, I can't wait to learn about the Concrete Cowboys. But the horse therapy, this isn't my hot gift, but the horse therapy thing is real. Uh, 
uh, Beth Bears. She was in Two Broke Girls in the Neighborhood. And um, she works with women from domestic violence or child trafficking. And they do horse therapy with them. And she talks about how profound it is and how the horse like carries, like it knows, like it doesn't let you fake it out. Like it feels your energy, but it also holds your, in like you be create this bond and um, the horse holds it for you and allows you to like heal with it. And I don't know, I've always thought horses were just magical creatures. I've never um, really taken back up horseback riding. I've done it leisurely a couple times, but uh, that's really incredible. And that story about your dad is, um, it's cool that he's still doing it. And Idris Elba did a great job. Like some of the mannerisms that he does with when, interacting with the horse is exactly how my dad is it's so crazy it's so good go watch it <laughs> all right jody what do you got for us um okay i actually realized it kind of goes with today's overarching theme of uh jobs but so frankie and i recently started a show on showtime called it's and i'm a little might be a little late to the game i think it came out in 2019 but it's on Becoming a God in Central Florida it has Kirsten Dunst in it, who is so freaking good. I've heard of this. I've heard of this. Yes, it's like a dark comedy and it's wrapped up. Um, Alexander Skarsgård plays her husband and I won't give away what happens to him in the pilot episode, but just think about Florida, how freaking crazy and weird it is. But um, basically it's a, uh, this chasing the whole idea is about chasing the American dream and getting caught up in like uh, he gets caught his name, his character's name is Travis and he's caught up in this world of like a pyramid Ponzi scheme where like you buy products it's called fam uh, founder American merchandise and um, you buy the product and you sell it to places, you know, like any kind of pyramid idea. But then you have Obi Garbo the second, who is like the head and he, you know, like all these wishes and like where you, how you can be a millionaire. And what's so interesting is the language he uses. If you took it like out of like um, this deranged psychological manipulation, it actually could be very empowering when used in the correct way. But it's like when you're dangling what people crave, which is security and money and fortune and wealth and um, all of that, it's very manipulative. And it's all of these people sucked into this idea that they can work for themselves and not work for the man and leave their J-O-Bs and not be a stinker thinker. Like they have all of these languages for like normal people. Um, we have not finished the series, the season yet, but it's definitely entertaining. I love everyone's Southern accents because it's Central Florida, the trash. Um, and it's just like um, a high intense way of like, like a Petri dish of focusing on how companies kind of suck you in and why people think they have to stay and work really hard in order to make this thing happen. And a lot of the times it's not achievable. What is really what it's really sad. I was looking up when the second season would be and it did immediately get renewed because it got uh, a lot of good reviews. But because of COVID like glow, I loved glow, but it got canceled because of COVID. So hopefully it will come back for the second season. I have no idea how it's going to end. And I'll probably be like, oh, my gosh, I need more. 
but it's definitely fun. And it will definitely, I think, I guess uncover some of those psychological questions about the why we are driven to to this false promise to these false promises and why we follow people like why we choose to put our trust in them versus ourselves and they just do it in a fun way even though it can get a little dark but like there's still the comedic aspect to it because i think it just feels so uncanny yet like i'm sure it's very close to a lot of lives out here which makes it a sadly relatable so that's my give <laughs> I can't wait to watch I it. I love it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. <laughs> and Kirsten Dunst just still freaking has it, man. Oh my gosh, she's so great. I love her in it. <laughs> 90s childhood memes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Callie Made Us Do It. If you liked our episode, please like and subscribe. It will help us in the charts. You can follow us on Instagram at Callie Made Us Do It. We'd also like to thank RoboPop for our theme music. Callie Made Us Do It is edited and produced in-house by the three of us, Alex, Kristen, and Jody. See you next week with our next episode.